Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Do not be afraid. But of course, that's exactly what they were. The strangeness of that day began when Jesus was virtually pressed in upon the lake of Gennesaret by the crowds who wanted to hear the word of God. At least three exhausted fishermen who had fished in futility all night long were there rinsing their nets, mending them, and folding them up when suddenly Jesus leapt into one of the boats and told them to push off a little ways from shore. Peter, James, and John, but perhaps especially Peter, were already somewhat acquainted with Jesus. Jesus had become widely known. Not only that, but he preached in the synagogues, which they undoubtedly heard. And Jesus himself had been in Peter's house previously, even healing his mother-in-law from a fever. As they pushed off from the shore, Jesus began to preach from the prow of the boat, thus inventing pulpits. Well, not really, but kind of. It's why many of our paraments and pulpits bear nautical themes and why sometimes they're outright in the shape of the prow of a boat. In much comfort to me as a preacher, no one recorded or remembered the content of Jesus' sermon that day, but rather what took place after. When he had finished preaching, he then said to Peter, go out into the deep and cast your nets. You don't fish in the heat of the day. They had just rinsed, mended, and folded the nets. Peter thinks that this is probably going to be futile, and Peter thinks that this is probably going to be work, because they're going to have to redo their nets all over again. But to his credit, Peter is willing to heed the voice of the Lord, even if he ends up looking foolish, even if it ends up costing him more labor. At your word, I will let down the nets. What a beautiful statement, and we have to leap forward because we already know the end, where Jesus says that I will make you fishers of men. how similar this original occurrence is to what occurs in the pastoral office and the pastoral ministry. According to the wisdom of men, one would fish via statistics and marketing analysis and careful curation of the church experience. And you can see many such churches all around Orange County which are designed precisely according to this wisdom of men. But what Peter says is true for the office of the ministry from its beginning unto its end. At your word, 
not on the basis of our wisdom or observations or scientific inquiries, at your word we will let down the nets. It is the word and command of Jesus, even contrary to our reason, that causes those nets to be filled with fish, causes the nets of salvation to be abundantly filled. So back then to the story on that one particular afternoon and those events, Jesus says, let down your nets into the deep. And they do. And what starts as a fisherman's dream quickly becomes their nightmare. Too much of a good thing. The hole of fish is so great, it instantly starts breaking the nets that they had just mended. They call for a second boat to come over, and in trying to relieve the nearly breaking nets, the boats themselves, so laden with fish, begin to sink. This is their whole livelihood, drowning in the depths of the sea, to say nothing of the peril to their own lives. It is a remarkable point in this occurrence to reflect on. I suppose one reflection could be, be careful what you wish for. How often we wish to be completely wealthy or completely worry-free or to have our health perfectly restored to us or all the relationships in our families mended and full to the brim with nothing but joy. Would such abundance, whatever form it takes, in fact be good for us? Or to meditate in a slightly different direction, the Lord is ready to give in such abundance, in such weight and plentitude that neither we nor our frame in this fallen world is able to receive or accept it. The fullness of his goodness toward us actually is destructive on account of our frail sinfulness. Other meditations may well prove fruitful. Be that as it may, as the boats are nearly sinking, Peter kneels at the knees of Jesus and says a strange but true thing, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. And indeed, probably every Christian of some maturity has felt that way before. Depart from me, O Lord, I am simply too unclean to stand in your presence, to draw near to your abundant goodness. Jesus doesn't depart. Where is he supposed to go anyway? Jump off the boat? That's not going to happen. Jesus doesn't depart, but instead, instead says to Peter, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. Now, as someone who has spent some time fishing, not with nets, but with a line and some flies, I can tell you most assuredly that the goal of fishing is to take fish from the water and bring them up on dry land. When fishing for men, it is just about the opposite. The goal is to take men from dry land and pull them into the water, the water of holy baptism. 
Indeed, this is exactly the kind of thought that a second century church father by the name of Tertullian had. And I'd like to read his quote to you. Happy is our sacrament of water, in that by washing away the sins of our early blindness, we are set free and admitted into eternal life. Hmm. Where did this second century church father get the idea that baptism is a happy sacrament of water through which our sins are washed away? No doubt the Holy Scriptures that say, rise, be baptized, and wash your sins away. Why does this second century church father attach baptism and salvation saying we're set free and admitted into eternal life. Well, perhaps precisely because the scriptures say, baptism now saves you. Now on to the good part. Tertullian continues, We little fishes are born in water after the example of our fish, our ichthus in Greek, more on that in a minute, our ichthus, Jesus Christ, And we have safety in no other way than by permanently abiding in water. Much of the imagery of fish, and even those that artwork found in the earliest Christian catacombs of fish, come from this. Not only the similarity between the Greek word for fish, ichthus, and the Greek word for Jesus, Jesus. But because ichthus is an acronym, in Greek, translated to English, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. In making the disciples fishers of men, he pulls us into the waters of baptism in such a way that we die and become little fishes alive in those waters, and all our safety consists in remaining in those waters. What happens to a fish when it gets pulled out of the water? It immediately starts gasping and flopping around and getting all dirty. And that's exactly what Satan attempts to do to us. Pull us out of the baptismal waters on dry ground where we begin gasping and flopping and dying and and dirtying ourselves. Thus, confession, absolution, the forgiveness of sins, is nothing but a return to those baptismal waters. That's why the confession and absolution is done in our liturgy down there by the font to remind you that you are being returned into those waters and all the dirt with which you defiled yourself is being washed away as you are returned to those waters. You are breathing again. You are alive again. It's analogous to if you go traveling or camping. You don't shower for some days. How good does that shower feel? And frequently we say things like, ah, I am myself again. And how truly analogous that is to baptism. When we confess our sins and return to those baptismal waters, we feel like ourselves 
once more. Little fishes made in the image of the great fish, the great ichthus, Jesus, our Savior. What happens to us in the waters of holy baptism is in fact profound. You won't see it with your eyes. Just a few moments we'll have the baptism of Arden. You won't see anything spectacular. But God assures us that it's happening. And if we listen to his folly, we'll find therein a greater wisdom than all the wisdom of our eyes or the wisdom of the world. The profound reality is that we are being baptized back into those waters at the very beginning of the scriptures and the very beginning of time. Those waters over which the Holy Spirit once hovered and now hovers anew. It is nothing more and nothing less than a new creation. We are being brought all the way back to the origin. and We will come forth utterly and entirely new. All of us together. That's why Christ has come. So often in this life, we feel and maybe even say, it's like I'm drowning, can't keep up. And that's true the older you get, I'm noticing. Doesn't look like we're going to make it out alive. Right. That's all according to plan. God has designed these baptismal waters to be a death, to be a burial in Christ. Just as Christ arises and emerges from those waters on the last day, so will we with him in the fullness of a new creation. The afflictions, the torrents, the currents are all by design, and they are all for our good. It is, as we reflected earlier, so often the case that we desire too little for ourselves. Precisely how much suffering am I willing to put up with in a given day? Well, zero, if I can help it. I desire too little for myself. God has much more in mind. God would afflict me and go contrary to my will precisely because he knows what's best and precisely because he wants more for me than I want for me. And so too it is for you and for his whole church on earth. He casts down in order to raise up. He drowns in order to save. He brings us back into those waters that there with him we would die and rise again. So much for mere earthly success. What a pity. It's why Elisha was willing to leave his oxen behind, even though that cost a pretty penny. It's why Peter, James, and John left all those fish, who knows, maybe a week, maybe a month's worth of fish, all sitting on the shore for somebody else to sell. God may not call you to leave everything and follow him. Then again, he might. He might cause you to leave certain things. He might cause you and call you to leave everything. You never know if martyrdom will come for you and you will be asked to forsake everything and follow him. 
we ought then to have our hearts prepared, knowing that earthly treasures, even if we had it all, would prove nothing but a danger to us. The treasure Christ gives is found in him and in those waters, those waters of life and new creation. And with us there, never departing, though indeed we are sinners and sometimes wish that he would depart, he abides and remains, the one more fearful and more wonderful in his grace and mercy than we can ever conceive. It is, as the scriptures say, deep calls unto deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. And as is so often reported, for those who truly hear the voice of God, not merely claim to, thus deifying their own opinion, the voice of God sounds like water. Ezekiel reports, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east, and the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.